2: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New
0: York Never compromise, drink responsibly They're going to kill the love of my life Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing This Friday Our line of work is quite brutal and
2: quite ruthless How far would you go for love? You steal a truck, bring it to me Then you make your money Is it dangerous?
1: Of course it's dangerous.
0: Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper joined today by a special guest host, Vlad Sedler, famous from Twitter, of course, at Rotogut on Twitter. You've probably seen his work on the
2: site. He's written the Barometer, I believe, for at least two years for us now, right, Vlad? That's right, uh, actually going on uh, middle of my third year here for the, uh, the Major League Baseball Barometer. Right,
1: so you've seen him for baseball stuff, he's written for our magazines before, uh, how to win the NFFC is the article this year, uh, Vlad's easily one of our most accomplished players on staff in terms of all the different high stakes leagues that are out there, uh, and today we're going to focus on MFLs, uh, there's MFL 10s, 25s, and 100s, we'll talk about what that means, uh, what these leagues are like, different strategies that you want to go after, and then kind of look position by position. You know, what's happening right now based on the market? Where are there possibly some tear breaks? Where are there good sources of value? Uh, a lot of good things to dive into. Uh, Vlad and I are both food guys. So if we start talking about food, oh, yeah. don't be surprised. This is your warning. Hopefully the conversation will be a really engaging one. Uh, but Vlad, let's just start from the top. I mean, the, the MFL concept is a cool, It's a cool thing. It's a slow draft where you get email notifications when your pick comes up. And it's a best ball league, so you don't have to make any decisions in season. No in-season pickups, so no in-season maintenance. And no lineup decisions every week, because it will automatically play the best active lineup you can have in any given week. So I have to ask, how long have you been playing in these MFL
2: formats? So this is my second uh, full summer of working on these, and uh, they, I just think they're the absolute best uh, preparation that you can have for your home leagues and any national leagues like NFFC that you might play. But um, it's just a really, really great way to get um, you know die-hard fantasy football enthusiasts prepared for the real drafts um, a lot earlier in time. And uh, really what's happened now is you've got people that are drafting pretty much like right after the Super Bowl. I mean, people are jumping right into it. You've got people that have done almost a thousand of these things and, and it's uh of course that's the extreme end uh but you know for us i mean it, it's absolutely fantastic cuz you've got an opportunity where you know you've got 8 hours on the clock to make your decision uh most people don't take those full 8 hours but when it is your pick and you're looking in the middle of the 12th round between you know a couple of options there it really gives you a great opportunity to really break down and, and figure out what you would do in a in a real draft uh, scenario and um also allows for just a lot of different types of strategies. So, you know, you might be uh, picking in the beginning of a, of a, uh, you know, or have an early first-round draft pick where you know you've got the first overall pick and you've got Antonio Brown. So then you're looking to see what you might get at the two-three turn over there at uh, picks 24, 25, and you may be able to prep a little bit with uh, with a back-end pick where you're looking at uh, you know some of those guys at the uh, the one-two turns. So yeah, just a lot of different ways, a lot of different strategies, and best of all, it's just fantastic prep for the season.
1: Yeah, and with the three different price points, I mean, you have $10 entry fees, twenty. Five dollar entry fees and then one hundred dollar entry fees. I think it's it's easy at the, especially at the ten dollar price point to commit to it because you're again you're not spending time in season. This is when you're doing draft prep. If you're going to play in the NFFC, either the the Roto on the RotoWire Online Championship or the NFFC main event, you're talking about several hundred dollars, if not a four figure buy in. So you want to make sure that you're prepared to the best of your ability and to do that, you have to go up against other people. Who have some skin in the game. I mean, that's that's the difference for me in an MFL 10 versus a mock draft. You're going to have a very competitive group of owners going through the process of building their team from start to finish. If you go to Yahoo or ESPN and try to do a couple mock drafts with no money invested at all it's very likely that half the teams will not show up in the first place and then half of those who do show up will start to bail after the first handful of picks because they get bored so it is probably the best way to get ready for being in different draft slots and it it creates new problems it gives you a different view of the player pool in some ways also because you're going to get If you're in four or five of these leagues, you're probably going to end up all over the map as far as early, middle, and late part of round one. So you just don't know what you're going to get on draft day until that time comes. It's a great way to cover multiple angles. But the big thing for me is that it's a roster construction exercise that is completely different than our typical season-long fantasy leagues. Because there are no in-season moves, you have to make sure you have adequate depth, even at quarterback, even at tight end, or with your defenses and your special teams. So I look at this as another good way to really go deeper into the player pool and look more
2: closely at players that you could otherwise ignore. That's right. And, and first of all, I just want to say, I mean, these these drafts are absolutely addicting. I mean, you can literally forego uh, uh, buying lunch every day and just bring a lunch from home and just spend those 10 bucks on, on one of these and can have several of these drafts going on at the same time. Uh, so just, you know, really good practice in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as the roster construction, I mean, you're drafting 20 players in total. You really want to make sure that um, you you have coverage at, at different positions. I mean, uh, you know, your, your typical 20-pick uh, draft, I mean, you'll – you know, usually have um, the most of your positions with uh, with the wide receivers. I mean, for the most part um, I'm seeing people drafting and, and myself taking about seven wide receivers of the 20 picks um, from that point on, you really want to have at least uh, two quarterbacks, two tight ends and two, two defenses and typically five running backs um, from that point on. It's just really a matter of, um, you know, where you drafted early, if, you know, say you've got, um, you know, Cam Newton, uh, you grabbed him in the fifth round and and backed him up with Mariota, um, you know, you may not necessarily need to kind of go for um, the bottom of the barrel, all your, you know, Sam Bradford, Jared Goff guys in the the last round. Um, And and same thing with tight end. If you, you know, you've got a Gronkowski with a Dwayne Allen, um, you may not necessarily have to go for some of those rookies like uh, Higby, Hooper or Herman. So, um, you know, really just depends on, on how you're drafting and, and, and how your team is setting up that's one of the things
1: that i have been focusing on a lot in my other drafts is you know if you have rob gronkowski in a league like the stake league that frees up one more bench spot and in a situation like this in best ball where you, you might have some depth running backs that maybe they're ppr guys you know the, like chris thompson or even a james white when while deon lewis is hurt those types of players they're going to have good weeks You just don't know when exactly they're going to happen. It's going to be maybe a high-scoring game, one where they're playing a lot of catch-up. And in a typical league, making the decision of figuring out when you're going to put them in is probably as simple as, well, this is the best option I have. I don't know if he's going to be good this particular week, but in best ball, you get the best of that player without getting the worst of that player and and that's something that makes uh, the roster construction process interesting too because there are different types of players that you almost have to mix and match within a position I mean are you finding that when you're looking at wide receivers for example you want to have a handful of guys that are high volume high floor I mean the elite receivers you want to try to get one of them of course if you can but as you're building up in terms of depth do you notice that you're going after maybe like a, a Braxton Miller type player for a late spot, because you, you know, like at some point the Texans are going to run some plays for him and he might have a two score game at some point this season. And i have a couple other games where he's pretty useful, but he's the player I would never take in a non-best ball situation.
2: Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, first and foremost, I'm looking for guys that I'm sure are going to make, uh, make the team. And I mean, ideally I'm not, you know, uh, hoping to have to ever, you know, use those. I'm hoping that all my guys are healthy. Uh, You know, my first five or six receivers are healthy and I won't actually have to rely on him other than the occasional one or two weeks. But for me, I think, um, you know, looking at their, their history of health uh, is, is absolutely primary. And then looking in the the, the type of offense uh, that they're in, I mean, there's definitely certain teams like, you know, green Bay Packers or the Indianapolis Colts, or, you know, just teams that I think are going to have just really very pass happy offenses that I want to have a little piece of that with. and, you know, that's why sometimes I'm even looking for, for a guy like Devonte Adams, who's, you know, really, uh, you know, going from a, a third round pick last year, going to a, you know, an 18th rounder this year, um, you know, looking for guys like that. But I think for the most part, you know, with the receivers, um, you know, once I really kind of have my base, um, uh, I'm looking for, for the home run hitters, I'm looking for those, those guys that can, uh, you know, can, you know, that are averaging over 15 yards per, uh, per reception and, and some of the really big home run hitters, like a Deshaun Jackson, where you can almost never time a guy like that but for best ball you know as your third or fourth receiver he's absolutely perfect
1: oh yeah i I love jackson in a format like this even though it's a full point ppr because he does have those monster games given his ability really to score from anywhere on the field sammy watkins gets a bump in a league like this i think michael floyd's like that too because in a lot of leagues i i want to stay away from floyd not because i don't buy into the talent but because in any given week I have no idea if it's going to be Larry Fitzgerald getting 14 or 15 targets or if it's going to be John Brown getting a couple long balls over the top. I mean, the Arizona offense is great, and you want to have shares, but at the same time, you want to have shares in the right spots. So for me, I'm probably 10 times more likely to end up with Michael Floyd in an MFL draft than I am in a non-best ball format. Agreed completely. So when you're looking at the, the top of the board, you know receivers are going to run the ADP report here as they do in most other leagues this year. It's not going to look totally different at the top as far as NFFC versus uh, the MFLs. You're going to see Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, and Julio Jones going off almost every single time in the top three. And the question I think I have when I start to look at the top of the receiver list is how much do you trust DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, when you're sitting there in the back of round one, do you trust him enough with Brock Osweiler at quarterback, with the volume he had last year? Do you think that's sustainable, and do you think he actually belongs in that spot?
2: So I actually have uh, Hopkins down just a little bit, but the problem is now with you know Le'Veon Bell falling out and you have got guys like, uh, you know, Des Bryant with his injury last year, Alan Robinson, who's obviously a stud and has only done it once, um, you know, really limited options. I mean, you, you're looking at a place where Deandre Hopkins is going fourth or fifth overall. I mean, I've seen a lot of drafts where, you know, AJ green's going, going ahead of him, And it's a, it's a spot where I would probably take green over Hopkins, but, uh, but overall um, I'm going to have to downgrade him just a little bit this season because I really don't expect uh, such a high a target share that he had last year. I mean, he was essentially, you know, the whole offense last year, especially after Foster got hurt Um, and bringing in a guy like Lamar Miller there, who is one of my favorite late first round uh, picks in almost any format. um, I really think is going to help balance out the offense a little bit. I do think Hopkins is still going to be a stud, but he could very well fall into that range in terms of production where he's a a back-end wide receiver one with guys like, you know, Cooks and and Alshon Jeffrey, if his hammy holds up, and, and Michael Evans, who I think is, uh, or Mike, as some call him, <laughs> who I think might uh, might jump up and have a big season.
1: Yeah, I, I was. I'm, I'm very surprised to see DeAndre Hopkins going fourth overall. I mean, that that just doesn't seem quite right to me. I, I look at him as a very similar player to Allen Robinson in terms of my expectations. And with Robinson, you have that more physically imposing player that that six four, you know, two fifteen, two twenty, probably closer to even two thirty. But with the speed and the hands, and I, I, I look for that. Like I think Dez, Allen Robinson, and DeAndre Hopkins are all very similar in value. But a half round jump for Hopkins is uh, something that's a bit surprising. But yeah, you see AJ Green going in the top five, and then finally guys like Gurley and David Johnson and Zeke Elliott all, all clustered together in picks six through eight. Is this one of these trends that, mm-hmm. as you've played fantasy football over these last few years, that? you were kind of out in front of a few seasons ago that receivers are a better investment, especially in these PPR formats?
2: Yeah, I, I, I feel like I jumped on that a couple of years ago. I know there's a lot of, um, you know, talk of, you know, a lot, a lot of success with, um, you know, the strategy of, of people going zero, running back and and just piling up on the receivers in, in, uh, in PPR formats. I mean, you know... if <laughs> Looking at the math, it it simply just makes sense. Um, Last season, I kind of made the mistake where I was just assured that I was able to sell myself that Eddie Lacy was just going to have a monster season. And there were a couple of spots, a couple of of drafts last year where, you know, I was just able to get him at the end of the first round. I thought it was an absolute steal. And that just kind of threw everything off. So um, that happened on a couple of teams. So I ended up with a lot of Eddie Lacy shares early, um, obviously didn't help um, my results at the end of the season. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting this season because, um, you know, it could, could very well be. I mean, there's a lot of guys, and I, I know we're about to get to the running backs, but a lot of guys in that second, third round who can actually, you know, kind of buck the trend a little bit of what we've been seeing and, and perhaps deliver some first and early second-round value.
1: By the way, uh, speaking of Eddie Lacy, I got a text from Mario Puig about an hour ago as that Packer game was getting underway against the Browns tonight. Just read, dude. Lacey is fat. What the f? Like, it, <laughs> like it's like still like that's the problem. Like it, it's weird because we saw the off season photos. I mean, P ninety X seemed to be working for him. The new diet yeah. seemed to be there. Who, who knows? I mean, it's it's, it's I mean, early. He had an ankle injury. There's still time before week one, but it's not what you want to see if you're buying into Eddie Lacey as a bounce back player because there's not. There's not that much of a discount. It's a discounted price compared to last year, but with respect to how he was being treated in the middle and even the later part of the season by Mike McCarthy, that doesn't seem to be fully priced in to Eddie Lacy right now.
2: And I think, uh, as you know, as we we share our uh, love of food, um, you know, once a foodie, always a foodie. So I think that's kind of hard. You kind of, you know, hurt your ankle there a little bit. Uh, you know, some of the food look, starts looking good there, and <laughs> slipping up a little bit.
1: Oh, today was a two donut day at the office, and uh, someone brought in Trace Leche's cake too. I thankfully avoided that, but it, it could have been could have been really ugly in the uh, office this afternoon. So good. Good judgment for once by me only eating the two donuts, really feeling kind of heroic about that. Uh, but looking at these yeah. receivers, give uh, you, have, you have a donut story.
2: Oh, no, 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 not a donut story. I was just saying, um, uh, speaking of showing patience, um, I actually did something really rare today. So I got a burrito uh, for lunch. And I actually cut the thing in half and only ate half and waited a few hours to finish it just so that I kind of didn't overwhelm myself for lunch and just to be completely fresh for this pod today. That's the first time you've done that, isn't it? It's it's a very rare occurrence, but I felt uh, on a day like today, you know, just, um, just just trying to keep my boy Lacy inspired. I, I do not have that willpower. <laughs> Cut a
1: burrito in half and save it half for later. So very well done, and much appreciated that you're not taking a nap right now. That's but, that's, that's much better for the pod uh, that you're going this route thank you sir all right so let's talk about these receivers that are kind of going in the next wave i mean the guys at the top not a lot of surprises overall other than the fact that you see hopkins and green maybe a half round earlier than where you're going to see them in the nffc i mean des bryant seems like a pretty safe bounce back candidate as long as his foot holds up i think he goes back to being pre-2015 des again
2: yeah i i really do like des a lot i think um you know, if if you're looking at there at the end of the first round, I mean, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll we'll talk about you know some of the shares I have a lot of players of. Um, and Des Bryant isn't someone necessarily that I'm going out of my way to target, but in almost ev- you know I've done ten of these so far of these uh, MFLs. And, um I, I think I've gotten the 10 11 or 12 pick just sitting there at the end in seven of them so you know when Des Bryant is staring you at the right in the face I mean it, it's really hard not to take a guy like that uh, my my main concern of course is is Tony Romo and his back and how long he'll, he'll hold up and just you know one hit and it's all over um but you know Des Bryan, I mean sitting there at the end of the first you, you pair him up with a with a Keenan Allen type you know the guy that was a you know absolute monster I mean you know how many receptions did he have in just seven games he played last year, like what, six and a half uh, receptions per game pace. Um, you know, pair it up with him or even like a Lamar Miller or a Zeke Elliott um, and, and at the end of the first round, and you're really off to a good start.
1: I was going to ask, too, do you buy in to the Keenan Allen volume from last year? He was on pace for 134 catches over a full season through the eight games that he played. And you think about San Diego's offense, Travis Benjamin's there now, but they just lost Stevie Johnson for the season. I mean, more of the same as far as Keenan Allen's targets goes, and is he a guy that could maybe take a little bump much like DeAndre Hopkins did last season?
2: It's funny because that, I mean, that was just an absolutely unsustainable pace. And I think, you know, that would have uh, sort of started to to tilt down a little bit eventually. And so it would have been interesting to see if he had played a full season and where he'd be falling in drafts right now. So, you know, I think the problem with him is he does have uh, somewhat of an injury history. Um, I do think he'll be a big target monster there. Um, The team really shapes up very similarly to last year, where it's basically just, uh, you've got, you know, Travis Benjamin, who's essentially, you know, takes on the Malcolm Floyd role, just a younger version of it. And outside of that, I mean, you know, Danny Woodhead's looking good. He's healthy. Um, Rivers and Gates are still there. They've been together for 13 years. Um, And really, all that changes is, is, you know, you bring in a guy like uh, a healthy hopefully Melvin Gordon into the mix uh, to kind of balance out that uh, offense a little bit and I um, I don't think he's uh, you know maybe five receptions a game pace but um I think as long as he stays healthy he's going to be in the conversation there for uh, worth his value at the end of the first round Yeah I
1: man I, th- I think 80 catches is the floor over a full 16 game season but the ceiling is like triple digits maybe even like 110 if everything goes well sure. for Keenan Allen like that's the possible payoff that we're looking at so, so certainly a lot to be excited about if you land him early in round two uh, but there's some hype guys that are on the rise and we're not talking about you know necessarily the the next wave of receivers you know, Brandon Marshall and Mike Evans Jeffrey Jordy Nelson those guys are all going pretty firmly in the middle of round two and you kind of get down to the Brandon Cooks and Amari Cooper T.Y. Hilton tier uh, a lot of a lot of volume with those three guys is the appeal maybe not the, the tight end out, or the touchdown output that you want from those guys, but the volume is going to be very good, Uh, but you start seeing guys that are younger receivers, kind of unproven, Devontae Parker is one of them, Uh and Parker's a guy that I know you like quite a bit, how much of your belief in Parker taking a step forward is just tied to Adam Gase being the new head coach in Miami?
2: So with Parker, I've told, you know, I, I actually drafted him in a lot of drafts, um, last season thinking he'd, uh, you know, essentially break out as a rookie. Um, you know, obviously, he started off with that injury at the beginning of the year. Um, had some really big games and, and showed off some of his, um, you know, some of his immense talent. Um, but with me, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes just a little bit, and it's not as much as the, of the injury, but um, it's just the fact that, um, you know, he's had spurts of, in college of being really good, but he essentially played, you know, all four years of college, and um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a little bit careful there because uh, he. Um... You know, basically because of his quarterback. I mean, you've got a guy in Ryan Tannehill who's you know, really solid with his short and intermediate route passes, and that's where he feels comfortable with his guy Jarvis Landry. But, um, you know, passing, you know, making passes, uh, you know, 20-plus yards, I mean, he really does have some difficulty there. So I wonder if, you know, a guy like uh, Parker is being a little bit overdrafted now and perhaps a little bit better suited for a best ball format where you're going to probably have some big games from him, but because of all the other pieces of the offense, perhaps he's not going to step into that, you know, wide receiver one range even that some think he might be. No, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. There there definitely
1: was a lot of inconsistency for him as a rookie last year, and health was a big part of that, definitely finished the year strong, but had a few games where he dipped down to five, six targets, and if that's happening on a regular basis, again, you know, I could see people being a little disappointed in their investments in Devontae Parker. For me, one of the biggest challenges is figuring out Seattle's passing game, but Tyler Lockett, I mean, from a physical standpoint, the speed. Helium City. It's crazy what he brings to the table in terms of speed, but the price people are paying for him right now, are you going anywhere near him at his current price?
2: Uh, i am i mean i did uh it, i did an nfFC draft uh, my, my first one just to sort of test out the waters and ended up getting him at a really good uh, place in the seventh round but we're talking about three weeks ago and now you know one small little preseason game with one you know amazing grab or play or you know and, and the guy's gonna start skyrocketing to the point where you know i mean it, it's really a kind of a tough decision if you're where you're looking at a guy like him versus doug Baldwin where obviously everybody knows that the guy's going to you know baldwin's going to dip down in the touchdowns a little bit obviously last season was unsustainable but you know still that's already baked in to, to baldwin's adp so it's a really interesting spot where somebody's looking at you know an option of taking a doug baldwin or tyler lockett as their wide receiver three and you know a lot of times people are looking for upside depends on the format you're playing but there's a lot of places where you know someone might take lockett and i think i might be one of those people
1: well there was also an article that came out this week that's changing the way people are looking at a player in this tier and it's marvin jones uh, a report from mlive.com one of the lions beat writers suggesting that marvin jones has looked like the lions number one receiver so far in camp i mean we can take that with an appropriate grain of salt but he's a player that never had a chance to get Uh, The extreme target volume in Cincinnati because of the presence of A.J. Green, do you feel like initially you may have been overlooking what Marvin Jones might bring to the table now that he's no longer behind someone who takes as many targets as A.J. Green does?
2: So I like I like them a lot uh, coming into this uh, preseason. I thought Detroit is going to be a good fit for him. I didn't think that uh, Detroit's offense is going to drop off all that much. And I actually, really like Stafford as a as a QB too. I know that uh, in the second half of the season, when our, uh, when our boy uh, Jim Bob Cooter got on there, I mean he he really started. Uh, you know, Stafford really started to pick things up. So Jones right now, I mean he's going at a you know ADP of of 74, you know in the sixth seventh round. I mean that's starting to pump up a little bit. Um, but of course, you know things change with, you know, the, the smallest reports in camp, and with something like this, what's going to happen is a guy like Golden Tate is going to end up falling to a spot where he's actually going to be a good value, and that's the type of situations I'm looking at. But as far as Marvin Jones concerned is concerned, uh, we saw the flashes in, in Cincinnati. I think he's got a good nose for, for, the, uh, for the end zone, and um, I think he could very easily lead that team in uh, receiving touchdowns. And
1: two more receivers that have been on the rise. Kevin White going into his second year with the Bears, but really his first season because he didn't play at all last year due to injury. Some of the reports out of Bears camp have been less than favorable as far as what White needs to do to really ascend to the number two receiver role behind Alshon Jeffrey. But there's no one else on that depth chart behind Jeffrey. That you, really, that you really like. So it's easy to see why people are, are going after Kevin White, especially when you think about what the Bears have invested in him. Uh, the guy I like a little more than, than Kevin White based on cost, though, is Sterling Shepard. I mean, we know the Giants are going to sling the ball around a lot. Odell Beckham's going to draw double coverage on every play, maybe even triple coverage on some plays. So being on the opposite side of the field could lend itself to a lot of single coverage, and Sterling Shepard may be able to take advantage of that right away.
2: Yeah, I like Shepard, and then the, the the problem with him is 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 the helium. I mean, he's really really starting to rise. I mean, when 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 people are looking at you know somebody like a Michael Crabtree, who's a really sort of boring, unsexy pick, or Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, he's starting to go above guys like that, you know, ahead of John Brown, even ahead of Larry Fitzgerald in some cases. So, you know, I always temper my expectations with uh, with rookies just a little bit. Um, I think last year with Devontae Parker was one of my first exceptions. Um, so, for, you know, I actually don't have any shares of him uh, out of 10 MFL so far, and just sort of the way that it's shaken out. There's always somebody that wants to take him uh, ahead of me, but honestly, the situation that he's in and with, um, you know, OBJ drawing all that coverage, I mean, he could very well be in a good spot.
1: A few other trends that note, Jordy Nelson's stock seems to be slipping just a little bit. He's had a, a problem with his other knee, not the one he tore the ACL in a year ago, but uh, I, I think if he's back on the field within the next week to 10 days, when we're recording this on August 12th, I mean, if he's back by the... 22nd or so practicing again playing in the third and fourth preseason game I think he can pretty quickly get back to the ADP he was carrying earlier this draft season
2: I mean, you know me. Uh, I, I, he's the only jersey I have. Yeah. <laughs> you helped me. You helped me find that thing. It was almost impossible. It was a year and a half ago, and and those things were uh, were uh, not available in stores or on, online anywhere. So I'm a huge Jordy fan. Obviously, I try not to let um, you know my personal feelings affect what I'm doing. When I'm drafting, but uh, you know, I have a couple of shares from from early drafts before some of these reports came out. Um, I am optimistic that he'll be uh, okay, um, but I definitely. Can't um, you know? Can't fault people for for, for being careful. Um, you know, taking him in, in the second round there. So where he's going right now in the third is just you know feels feels a little bit safer.
1: I took him and I had a hard time doing it in an MFL that's going on right now I'm actually on the clock in that league. So I'll probably make a pick while we're recording. And is this ours? Is this our, our draft? It's it's the other one I think. Yeah, this it, okay. is another one we're doing with a few of the listeners from the serious XM show. And we're into like round 10 already. And I've, I've actually been stacking Packers, like just kind of by accident, partially by accident, not something the, I was like planning on going in.
2: The James Anderson plan?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of <laughs> what he's doing in the other league, right? So yeah. I have Nelson and Cobb and Rodgers right now already in tow. And I'm looking at my team and I, I got to make a pick. I've got four receivers because I've got Julio Jones, Nelson, Cobb, and Torrey Smith as the fourth receiver. And then I've got Forte and Melvin Gordon as my two backs. Travis Kelsey is my first tight end. Rodgers is my first quarterback. And I'm looking at it and like, okay, what, what position do I go with? I mean, I feel like if I like a running back, sure, a third running back right now would be good. If I can knock out a second quarterback right now, I may not have to bother with getting a third. And tight end for me might be a position like that, too. Because for me, Kelsey's good enough where if you go with another quality option to mix and match with him, you may not have to go three deep.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, you know what, I think also, you, you know, you're building up that Packers team and I think that's a really good strategy for, for these type of drafts or something like the NFFC, where you're shooting for an, a large overall prize. I think that stacking is just really underrated. Uh, it's something I even tried in baseball last year where I just, you know, really liked the Washington nationals offense and, you know, got myself some, some Bryce Harper to go with Dale, you know, Daniel Murphy and Anthony Rendon and, you know, things like that. So, you know, if there are offenses out there that you think are just going to go bananas, um, like the Packers should. Um, I think that's something that could bode really, really well for uh, for 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 the my fantasy league format.
1: I've also got Derrick Henry tucked away on this team too. But yeah, stacking it's kind of more of like a DFS concept. But I think in best ball, it can work. But it goes back to something we maybe mentioned briefly. Bye weeks matter in these best yep. ball leagues. You really have to pay attention to the bye weeks in a normal league where you're making moves all season. You can deal with having too many players off in one week because by the time that week gets there, you're going to have added and dropped some players. You might even make a trade or two, and it may not even make a difference. But if you have a week in a best ball league where you don't have enough players and you're actually taking zeros
2: or close to it, that could be just devastating for your season. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agreed. Hey, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about some of these – sort of unpopular, unsexy wide receivers that are going like the, you know, the Kelvin Benjamin, Emmanuel Sanders, even Jordan Matthews is losing a little bit of luster now. Uh, you know, how do you value guys like that?
1: I like Emmanuel Sanders quite a bit because I don't think the quarterback situation can get much worse. And I know the one sort of counter argument to that is, hey, remember what happened to Larry Fitzgerald when Kevin Cobb and Ryan Lindley and John Skelton were throwing him passes? Like it, <laughs> it, was, it was really bad. So if, if that is what Sanchez and, and Simeon, and Paxton Lynch end up being, then then I'll be wrong. But I think last year was more of the floor for a guy like Sanders, especially in this format with the full PPR. I think he he belongs where he's going. He's probably undervalued. Uh, Jordan Matthews' knee injury scares me a little bit. It's a week-to-week sort of thing as opposed to a day-to-day sort of thing. So i got to see how much he falls before I start to invest. Before the knee injury happened, I really liked him as a good candidate to pile up 75 or 80 catches. I know he let some people down last year, and that's a big part of the reason why the, the price came down. Deshaun, we talked about earlier, always like him. I feel like he's always underpriced, especially in best ball. But the guy that I'm, I'm just not sure of here is Kelvin Benjamin. You know, you, you can figure out where the targets are going to come from. If you squint real hard, you can see the 50 or so they threw in Jericho cottrey's direction. He's not there anymore, so there's 50 for Benjamin. Philly Brown doesn't really need to get a lot of targets. I think he had about 50 last year. Maybe you take a few away from Olsen, take a few away from some of the other depth guys. But then you look at Funches and you're like, okay, something's got to give. Like, if, if Benjamin mm-hmm. and Funches and Olsen are all going to be useful they have to throw it more like that's the only recipe and i don't really know if i buy into that happening like carolina's offense functioned really well the way they handled it last year and cam was right around 500 attempts so so why would they make a significant change
2: yeah i mean it's really the you know if it's if it's not broken why fix it and it could very well be the case that you know for all we know is unpredictable as football is I mean Devin Funches is going eight rounds later than Kelvin Benjamin I mean what if he just is ends up to being better than him and, and the two guys just completely flip-flop I mean we really really don't know
1: I guess the other wild card is Ted Ginn I mean, he did 10 TDs last year those have to go somewhere <laughs> those targets there's like there's no reason to target Ted Ginn more than a quarter or a third as often as they did last year he drops so many balls I know he can get behind defenses and and make those big plays but Kelvin Benjamin should be able to do that even more effectively as long as he's healthy but I haven't had him anywhere so far uh, there's some guys that you really liked earlier this summer who've been moving up the board I mean Sammy Coates it's getting ridiculous on Sammy Coates. I hate
2: this I hate this <laughs> it's really bad it's every like, year every year I start my prep early uh, thousands of articles come out all the guys that I've targeted uh, are starting to go up the ADP I start not being able to get them and then somehow I convince myself that maybe hey I don't like these guys when everybody's on them so I think this year what I'm trying to do with, with, with those guys is just stick to my guns you know like I, I put in the time I've done the research um, I have a good feel on a, lot of, on a lot of these you know receivers later on in the player pool I may or may not be wrong you know like like I am and like everyone is every year but, uh, but yeah I mean Sammy Co is one of those guys that um, you know that I really like Um, you know Stefan Diggs even though you know Teddy Bridgewater is going to really have a very uh, uh, basic offense and supposed to you know run around uh, or you know be based off of you know Adrian Peterson's volume Um, but I think Diggs you know he already had a little bit of a breakout last year and I think he's um, the helium is starting to pick up on him just a little bit Um, so that's another guy I really love I think Stephon
1: Diggs has been playing with a chip on his shoulder, too. This is a guy that went in the fifth round of the draft last year, and he's got something to prove, and you can kind of see it in his, in his demeanor on the field. I do like Stephon Diggs, where he's going. I haven't had any chances to really get him yet, but it, it's going to happen. I'll have him at least one or two leagues by the time draft season comes to a close. I mean, Michael Thomas in New Orleans, certainly you see the, the height there, especially in the red zone. He could be an asset for them. I don't like Toby Fleener really at all, so I think Michael Thomas I'm with you. Michael Thomas is going to be the guy that everybody wants Toby Fleener to be, plus he'll get some more targets because he's a receiver instead of a tight end. Uh, Devin Funches, you're right. Everybody's kind of on Funches right now, but I don't really see the reason to go overboard at this point if the price gets too high. There's two names on your list, though, that have been getting some helium that I feel like are getting less than the rest of the group. Muhammad Sanu, people are just kind of writing that off as an insignificant sort of move for Atlanta. And then Bruce Ellington in San Francisco, somebody behind Torrey Smith should be another target monster because the ball has to go somewhere, regardless of whether it's Blaine Gabbert or Colin Kaepernick handling the quarterback spot in San Francisco.
2: Yeah, and with Mohamed Sanu, I mean, we, we've seen it. We've seen his, you know, his, him playing with with Dalton over there, and and um, you know, he's had, he's had some sparks, some good games. Um, obviously, we've seen the other end of the the spectrum with you know, get, guy drops the ball a lot as well. Um, so, uh, I think it's really just a matter of of opportunity of him being in an offense where I think, um, you know, they the Falcons have um, a nice tandem that I think might be a little bit more, uh, 50, 50 than a lot of people think with Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And with Julio Jones who's just a monster could easily be the number one fantasy player this year. You know, after leading the league in, in uh, yards and targets last year, um, you know, he's, you know, it Sanu could fit in there, uh, fit in really well. And you're looking at a guy that's going in the 10th, 11th round, uh, of, of 12 team leagues could be a really good value. And with Bruce Ellington, uh, I mean, you know, he's... He's, he's looking good. I think, uh, you know, the hype train's picking up on him a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote him up in my column uh, for the magazine uh, last year, uh, talking about late round wide receiver breakouts. Um, and obviously it didn't come to fruition last season, but I think he he's in a really good spot. Um, I think Blaine Gabbert is probably a better fit for him. I think Blaine Gabbert's a little bit of a uh, underrated quarterback. I think the offense might be a little bit, a little sneaky, um, but at this point it's again, I mean, we're, we're, sitting here, you know, four weeks to go until the season starts, and I can see, you know, Ellington going in like, you know, some new territory um, you know, four weeks from now.
1: Yeah, I think once there's more clarity about that depth chart, that's going to drive the value of a guy like Bruce Ellington. Uh, going really late, you know, if you're end game of these MFLs and you're, you're scrambling just to fill out your roster with players that might help you, uh, you've got a few names here that are, are interesting. Uh, Seth Roberts, I mean, he's just gets opportunities every now and then. It's, again, season-long sort of nightmare when you're making lineup decisions, but when you're not, he's the kind of guy that can actually make an impact for you, and you're just kind of on autopilot, so it works out really well. Uh, Oakland's offense has that sort of depth. It's not the same as, you know, like a New Orleans or New England or a Green Bay, but at the same time, they have these really athletic receivers that seem to have pretty good rapport with Derek Carr.
2: And he had a, you know, a a nice stretch of three games last, uh, last season, sort of uh, late in the season. But the way I look at it, he's just among another Michael Crabtree injury away from being relevant. Uh, And so I really like him there. Uh, I know that he showed signs of a good rapport with, uh, with car last year. And uh, you know, he's, he's one of the guys I have more shares of than anyone. He's, you know, my, my seventh receiver go-to in the 18th, 19th round in almost every draft.
1: Devante Adams, you mentioned him a little bit earlier. I mean, this is a guy, that after Jordy Nelson got hurt last year was being drafted in the third round and turned in an awful season. He hurt his ankle. I think he had a setback with the ankle a few weeks later, came back from the injury too soon. I, I almost wonder how much of his struggles last year were the result of him just not being 100% healthy.
2: I think it really has a lot to do with that. I mean, you know, and then, you know, towards the end of the season, you're just kind of struggling and, you know, get nervous about everything. Start, you know, start, start dropping passes. And, and I think, you know, kind of being able to regroup over, over the winter and get ready for the new season. I mean, we see examples of that all the time, every year, Um, you know, a guy that is, you know, last year's spotter ends up coming back into the, uh, you know, back into relevancy. And with the fact that McCarthy just doesn't love Janice and apparently doesn't want to give him an opportunity, and seems Rogers is talking up Devonte Adams, I think they like his talent, and uh, you know he, he was great at uh, Fresno State. Uh, I think he could bounce back and be pretty decent. Yeah, I think the
1: Packers coaches and I think Aaron Rodgers, they they like uh, Jared Aberderis, they like Ty Montgomery, they like Adams, they. They just want to keep Jeff Janis at the kids' table. Like they, they, they just don't like what he does as far as his routes. He just seems sloppy. He'll probably make the team as a special teams player because he's great on special teams. But the hype train probably has derailed at this point for Jeff Janis. Uh, Jalen Strong could have a pretty significant role in Houston. I mean, a different player than uh, than Will Fuller, of course, but a, a guy that I think could be a lot better in year two let's start talking running backs though i mean a lot of receiver stuff that it's it's, we could talk all day about receivers you you could have like (laughs) a week's worth of episodes about receivers what are you doing as far as the middle of round one are you buying into the top running backs pick six pick seven pick eight in your mfls or are you still trying to go more wide receiver heavy unless like todd Gurley is still there
2: it's tough because I really haven't had much opportunity. I mean, most of my MFLs is, are, you know, I, I'm either getting an end pick or uh, or an early pick, so I haven't had too much of those um, scenarios. But you know, there's, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Lamar Miller at the end of the first round if I have a a, a pick at the wheel. Um, I absolutely love him this year. Um, I'm for the most part kind of staying away from from Peterson, Devontae Freeman, and. Um, uh, Peterson, Devante Freeman, and uh, Doug Martin, I think. And I really like a lot of those guys that are going in, you know, sort of between pick 25 to 40, uh, you know, guys like LaShawn McCoy, who I expect to, you know, he's looking smelt this year. Uh, I know he gets prepped for camp uh, every year and, and always loses a little bit of weight, but I think he's finally healthy and going to have a good season. Um, you know, Mark Ingram has his injury concerns, but you know, he's a player that I'm interested in there. Um, and then Jamal Charles, I mean, he should be back in a week or two. Uh, you know, obviously he his workload will decrease a little bit and it, got guys like Spencer Ware and Sharkhandrick West that can kind of you know you know pick up the slack a little bit there but you know a lot of times if, if I am going receiver early uh, with my first two picks, um, I'm looking to try to grab one of those guys in the third round.
1: Yeah, I like Shady McCoy quite a bit. I mean I, I could see a nice season from him especially from the middle part of uh, round three. And the other way you have to look at running backs, I mean, beyond the elite options and figuring out when exactly you want one of them over a top 15, top 20 sort of receiver is thinking about how you're going to structure this position as a whole uh, as you build out your roster. Do you like going zero running back in the MFL format? Do you think the best ball lends itself to it?
2: I think so. Um, I think it's just ends up being really hard for me because I'm always so tempted. Like I, you know, kind of don't want to start, um, you know, my running backs with like a Danny Woodhead or, uh, you know, Jonathan Stewart or, or Jeremy Langford, who I'm actually avoiding altogether. So I always try, I, I never really fully go full zero running back and I'd like to get one in my first four picks, uh, but I'm starting to warm up a little bit to guys in that sort of that middle area right around rounds, you know, four five, six guys like DeMarco Mer- Murray. Um, You know, Jeremy Hill, who, you know, scored double-digit touchdowns last year despite not catching many passes. Um, You know, liking a couple of guys like that. And even Duke Johnson, who I think is going to be, you know, the helium keeps rising with him. But I think he's, um, you know, just going to catch 70 passes for all we know this year. So uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable with those type of guys. But ideally, as usually as my number two. Well,
1: I think part of it for me is that I don't want to have a Danny Woodhead type player early because I think those pass catching backs, those specialists, there are players like that available a lot later. I mean, you can get a Theo Riddick or a Charles Sims or yep. Deion Lewis if he falls a little bit. Maybe James White in this case because Lewis could be a little slow uh, to get ready for the season coming off that torn ACL. But that skill set exists much later than where you have to take Danny Woodhead. I don't, I don't want to pay sticker for that skill set. It just doesn't make sense to me to go that route. You have a, a class of running backs though, that are definitely polarizing to, to put it lightly. And it includes uh, guys like Melvin Gordon, Amir Abdullah, Jeremy Langford, Matt Jones, Thomas Rawls. I think there's a lot of, Hey, well, let's see what these guys can do. I mean, in Rawls's case, can you do it again? In the case of Langford, Abdullah and Gordon and Jones, they underperformed last year, at least in terms of their efficiency and this may be their last chance beginning this season to be starters for their respective teams. This, this is their window of these first eight games of 2016. From that bunch, is there anyone who really stands out to you as particularly undervalued? <laughs>
2: Honestly, if Abdullah was was fully healthy, I think he would probably be be, uh, being drafted probably a round or two ahead of there. Uh, But, you know, he's not. uh, But he's somebody that I would be looking at, um, you know, in full health. I'd probably have him on a whole bunch of teams. And, you know, I think when he is healthy, I think he's going to be really good uh, and, you know, be around in the league for a while. Um, Melvin Gordon's really a tough one for me to to, to grab a hold of um, in terms of my thoughts about him. Um, I do know a lot of really smart people that, you know, that that we talk to and work with that that absolutely love them and are grabbing them in every draft that they can um you know, so he's somebody also that may end up um, really outperforming his ADP. Um, And then with Matt Jones and Langford, I think I'm just, uh, I I don't think those offenses are going to be very good. And there are a couple of rookies there with uh, Keith Marshall in Washington uh, and uh, Jordan Howard in Chicago, who may actually be better than, than, than these guys. And, and I know Matt Jones and Langford, they're, you know, they're very uh, sort of polarizing because of their, you know, you know, yards per carry last year, were under four and, you know, just, you know, very, just pretty much just showed, um, you know, flashes just not that often. Uh, they're just a couple of guys that um, I'll, I'll let other people have them. They're just, you know, not very interested there. Yeah,
1: I'm okay if I lose to someone in the long run because Matt Jones ends up being very good this year. I'll be surprised enough by that where it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll concede defeat because <laughs> I, I just don't see it with him or with Jeremy Langford at this point. Uh, Rashad Jennings has fallen quite a bit, too. It seems like the Giants are going to consolidate their backfield quite a bit, so I could I see him ending up on a few of my teams, especially if I go with more of that zero running back sort of approach. I had shares of DeMarco Murray everywhere last year going earlier uh, going earlier than like the gordons and, and the langfords and such that we just talked about but not a ton we're talking probably what 20 picks earlier in most cases what do you make of Der- of, of murray and derrick henry sharing that backfield in tennessee is this going to be a tennessee offense that runs it so much that both of these backs can be viable and murray as the lead guy can get back to something that resembles his pre-2015 form
2: I think we'll see some uh, flashes of that, but um, I, I honestly don't think in this first season, I, I you know, the, Henry's just pretty much just a you know, big old brick and, you know, he can get in the end zone a little bit here and there, but I really think it's going to be, um, you know, a lot of DeMarco Murray, but the other thing to keep in mind of is, is, you know, Marcus Mariota is pretty good. I think he's got a decent target there and, and Rashard and Rashad Matthews. Um, I think, you know, somebody among the, you know, maybe, you know, Doriel Green Beckham finally, you know, sort of, Wakes up and and realizes that he's in the NFL and is is actually really talented and could be good. Um, So I think that team is a little bit underrated. Um, And if they're not, there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, catching up in the fourth quarters and a lot of passing plays. And and Murray will play a part of that. And so I think he's going to see the field a lot more, you know, on third downs and, you know, kind of all over the place. So, um, you know, I don't think obviously because of the lack of um, volume, he's not going to see 300 touches again. Um, I think because of that, where he's going right now in drafts is absolutely perfect
1: as far as some running back risers to keep an eye on josh ferguson to me he's the most intriguing back on the depth chart in indianapolis i mean do you think he can emerge to take the starting job by week six week eight is it going to be sooner than that I, i feel like it could take him a few weeks after the games begin to actually unseat frank gore as the lead back in indy
2: yeah, I mean that'll be interesting. Uh, I know they have Turbin there as well, and you know, I mean, you know, I mean, from, from this point on, it could very well be that if Ferguson has a horrific camp, he could possibly not even make the team. You know, just basically from what I've been seeing. But uh, uh, but I know he's he is he is really talented. He's he's working really hard in camp, so I think he should be fine there and make the team. But um, you know, I think unless Gore gets hurt, I think he's you know he's he's pretty solid. I mean, you know, Gore's been doing it for so long; he's just so consistent. Um, I think it's only you know his second time since. 2006 last year when he didn't reach 100, 1,000 yards and he was just short there. Um, So I could even see a a place where uh, a season where you know because that offense is so efficient, where Frank Gore gets 10 touchdowns again, where they just kind of give it to him on the one yard line, he just walks it in. It might be ugly in terms of efficiency, but the TDs yes. could go up because
1: the offense should be a lot better with a healthy Andrew Luck. I could definitely see that being the case. Uh, what about handcuffing in a league like this? Do you make a point to do it, or are there just certain backups that you like because their situation lines up so well if they get the opportunity? I mean, do, do you actually like to pair up two guys in the same team in these leagues, or do you just target these guys because they're high upside?
2: I mean, I think for the most part, um, sort of the most popular, uh, handcuffs are the, uh, you know, D'Angelo Williams with Le'Veon Bell, which is, you know, the pretty obvious one and, uh, Jarek McKinnon with Adrian Peterson. I really think Jarek McKinnon's a, a really talented player. And if something was to happen to Peterson, you know, you're looking at a guy that could jump in and be a, a running back one this year and provide that type of value. So I think in those two scenarios, you definitely want to, want to ha- uh, grab the handcuff. Um, a, a couple other ones that are interesting are, um, you know, Spencer Ware, with uh, with Jamal Charles and I really liked where last year. I started you know using him in uh, um, you know DFS just kind of you know. Look, looking for those, you know, little, uh, you know, red zone, um, you know, walk in touchdowns. So, uh, I think he's somebody that if it turns out Jamal Charles isn't healthy, I think he's going to get, um, sort of the bulk of the work, um, over, uh, Chuck Kendrick West. And then that final one is, um, you know, Thomas Rawls. I mean, that's just a very um, interesting situation that they have there with, uh, you know, pro not healthy, um, Alex Collins in the mix. And apparently the resurgence yet again of Christine Michael,
1: Yeah, somehow he looks better this time around. (laughs) I don't know. That seems like a a training camp noise sort of article, but we'll have to keep an eye on it as the season draws closer. I I do like Alex Collins, though. I thought he looked pretty good at Arkansas. So if Rawls has a setback Mm -hmm. with his foot, I think Collins becomes a little more useful than Procise because I think Procise is just that pass-catching specialist. I don't really know if he's a guy that's going to carry the ball a lot, at least in year one uh, with Seattle. Well, let's shift the focus over to tight ends because you kind of look either Gronk very early or Jordan Reed versus Greg Olson a couple rounds later and then you know maybe a guy like Travis Kelsey in the next little tier after that. I, I like Kelsey a lot. If Kelsey's available mm-hmm. at a price that's significantly lower than Reed and Olson, I think that's tremendous value.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kelsey's... Priced really nicely. I know that uh, in, uh, in your stake auction that we had, um, the you know the the company draft. I mean, he went for uh, pretty cheap in, in your in our league. I think he went for like you know twelve dollars or something like that. I mean, that's just you know really good value. Um, and his ADP here, you know. Uh, uh, 65 I think is, is is a really good spot so we'll be very interested to see how he does this year
1: the thing that I, I like about him compared to Fleener who's right next to him on the ADP report I think Kelsey can score from pretty much anywhere on the field there aren't many tight ends you can say that about he has that big playability so he doesn't necessarily need the Chiefs to change their scheme and start throwing the ball more in close like he's not the prototypical fat guy tight end who can only make his money by getting open in the red zone like Travis Kelsey can get open mm-hmm. anywhere
2: it's coming, you know. That it has to come. I mean, we were waiting for it last year. Uh, it's this has got to be the season. I mean, I'm fe- I'm feeling Travis Kelsey this year.
1: As far as waiting at the position, we're in agreement. We don't like Kobe Fleener. If Tyler Eifert, if he falls a little bit, I'll go ahead and take the chance. I have some concerns about how productive he'll be early in the year, but you could certainly see, you know, with Marvin Jones gone, especially and Mohamed Sanu gone maybe they don't trust Tyler Boyd right away as the games begin to count, and Tyler Eifert emerges to be that number two threat behind A.J. Green.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that had 13 touchdowns last year. I mean, obviously, that's coming down a little bit and, you know, the injury and everything, but you know, beyond A.J. Green, and God forbid something happens to Green. I mean, who do they really have? You know, LaFell has, you know, has LaFallen, you know, off the face of the earth, uh, efficiency-wise. I mean, he's just he, you know, he he doesn't look that great. Um, you know, Tyler Boyd is a rookie, just coming into the league. So, um, you know, I, you know, I mean, you got to consider with Eifert, um, especially in in how he's been falling in some of these drafts. If you have coverage there, um, you know, you able to pair him up with like a, a Julius Thomas or Antonio Gates if you're going back to back um tight ends in those rounds um, you know, can really work.
1: If you're waiting for your second tight end, who, who do you like as a, a cheap option that you can get late in your drafts right now?
2: well I know obviously everyone is sort of jumping on the Dwayne Allen train you know good rapport with Andrew Luck problem is he's really not that cheap anymore and especially with Ladarius Green falling out of the picture uh, hopefully he's okay but if he's not I mean Dwayne Allen's gonna you know move up a little bit Uh, two guys that I really like are uh, Clive Walford and Vance McDonald so I got a bunch of shares of both of those guys as as, as many as I could get Uh, and um, you know Walford doesn't have uh, best hands but I think he's he's a really good route runner he's um i think the, the coaching staff really loves him and i think he's got a really good rapport with Carr. so i think walford could be one of those sneaky guys that jumps into you know potentially like you know top eight Tight end. So there's him, and then Vance McDonald, uh, who was cheap for a little bit uh, because there was some question mark uh, questions whether him or Selleck would be the starting tight end. But the news came out most recently last week that you know Vance is the guy. I think he's just uh, you know almost has like Velcro gloves, and uh, you know he's. going to be uh, a guy that could potentially you know give you eight touchdowns maybe not all that many uh, receptions but you know i like mcdonald there as a late round flyer and
1: if you waited a bit longer to get your first tight end and decide you want to take a third one because that is definitely something you consider strategically i mean how, how do you go at the, at the very end of the tight end pool
2: what stands out to you as having some upside so it's, it's, it's been different over the last few weeks because, um, I think early on I was, you know, grabbing guys like, uh, you know, Virgil green or, or Jacob Tammy, or, you know, just, you know, guys that have been around a little bit and kind of familiar with their offenses. Uh, but I've been experimenting a little bit more recently with some of the rookies. Uh, I know that traditionally, uh, rookie tight ends, don't just step up out of nowhere and, um, you know, become, uh, you know, fantasy relevant, but I think it's quite possible. I mean, there's, you know, guys like Austin Hooper, uh, over in Atlanta, um, or, you know, Tyler Higby, who's supposed to be a, you know, monster, almost like an Aaron Hernandez clone. Who's just a really good all around player, um, on a team that could really use him. I think those are two guys that might be worth, uh, picking up. And, um, you know, for a lot of our leagues with, uh, you know, free agency and waivers, um, those guys might, you know, end up having a big, you know, two touchdown game early on in the season and then go for, you know, 50 percent of your FAB budget. So let's shift the focus over to the quarterback position. Quarterbacks going even
1: later than last year, perhaps because of some of the quarterbacks who were productive. You, You can get so many different players that do similar things. At the position, I think that sort of waters it down, pushes everyone down the board quite a bit. Uh, do you like being patient
2: at the quarterback position in
1: these MFL drafts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely try to because, you know, we were looking at last year. I mean, the entire quarterback position was, was, was turned upside down on its head with, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers was you know the QB7 last year and he's supposed to be a top 3 guy. Uh you had Andrew Luck with his you know essentially his lost season. So there were a lot of guys later uh, on like you know Blake Bortles ended up becoming you know the you know QB3 last year. Uh you know Palmer um, you know, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Tyrod Taylor, these are all guys that were, you know, essentially top fifteen quarterbacks last year who were either undrafted or were just taken really, really late in drafts. And so I think because of that, um because of that volatility, a lot of people are are looking to push these quarterbacks a little bit longer. Um for me, it's kind of that sweet spot in the middle. It's a lot of it is um, you know, value based perhaps. Like if, you know, I'm not gonna target Cam uh Rogers, Wilson or luck. But if they fall a little bit later, it's a draft where everybody's waiting on quarterbacks. And I'm looking at like a Emmanuel Sanders or, or John Brown. Uh, and I already have a couple of receivers. Maybe I'll grab the quarterback there. So I think it really depends. But for me, um, it's a lot of those guys in the middle, like uh, Phillip rivers and Eli and Derek Carr that I like.
1: If you do land one of those top options, how long do you like to wait before you take a second quarterback even if you think you're only going to need two does that that need for two versus three lead you to go a little earlier for the second one and then you don't worry about getting the
2: depth option or you know, how, how do you like to handle that for the most part, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just grabbing Blaine Gabbard or, or Robert Griffin. If I just have a couple of guys, especially like I have a couple of teams where Romo fell so far. I mean, we're talking like round 16, 17, where I grabbed a Romo as my second, you know, my second quarterback, not feeling comfortable with, you know, having him there and, and, you know, the possible injury issues with him. Um, you know, that's usually a spot where I'll grab like a grabber or Griffin. Um, but for the most part, um, I'm content with having two quarterbacks there. If I have a couple of those mid range guys um, and then I could just use that last pick on a third defense or a third tight end in this format.
1: As you look a little further down. So if you are waiting, where do you like to go once you're getting past the first seven or eight quarterbacks There's seven in the top 100 right now, based on the ADP it's cam Rogers, Russell Wilson, luck breeze, Roethlisberger and Brady. Once you get past that group, I mean, who are some of your preferred options to pair up?
2: So I really love the uh, the the uh, the running guys. So I would love to be able to grab. I mean, I'm all in on Tyrod Taylor. Any any chance I can get, them, I'm going to grab them. Um, you know, Winston, Mariota. I mean, these are guys that can. Um, you know, you know, their feet are weapons, and they could score a few rushing touchdowns for you. And I think pairing those guys up, um, you know, by week uh, appropriate with a pass, you know, with a big passing guy, uh, arm like Eli Rivers or Carr. I think those are really good, uh, really good combos. How about yourself?
1: I, I like Eli and Rivers quite a bit. I'm staying away from Carr because I think the Raiders might be a little bit like Jacksonville where they're, they're a slightly better team this year. They might run it a little better in close. That could bode well for a guy like Latavius Murray, of course. So I, I just feel like everything that could go – as well as it could happened for Derek Carr last year. like That was that was the optimal scenario. Winston seems really undervalued. I think Taylor and Mariota are, are a tick below where they should be going as well. Uh, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't like Ryan Tannehill that much, for example. I'd have him in the Stopa League because it's a two-quarterback league, but I'm not real happy about it. Uh, matt ryan you know to me is 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 solid but not someone that has quite the upside of even like a rivers at this point so i I like a lot of these same quarterbacks that you're going after right now uh the the other guy that i want to ask you about is uh, is tony romo though i mean how far does he have to fall before you're willing to to say it's a good deal because the per game numbers i think are still going to be very good it's just a matter of if he breaks that collarbone again I, i just feel like he's done forever
2: yeah. And I think for the most part, I'd rather just sort of be beaten without him. And I have a few shares of him only because he's just fallen so far. And I've been, you know, sort of playing, uh, you know, chicken with the, with the quarterback. Uh, but for the most part, um, I would almost rather have a guy like uh, Andy Dalton, who I think will be part of a, you know, efficient offense there, especially if, you know, Boyd steps up and, you know, Gio Bernard does Geo things. Um, so, you know, It really depends, but I think in these MFLs, I mean, I just have tons of Romo shares because there's just that it's fallen to like round, you know, 15, 16, and I can't just, you know, let the, you know, pass up on a guy.
1: Andy Dalton, 8.4 YPA career high last season. Definitely something I've was overlooking as I started my draft prep uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, One more quarterback-related question. I mean, Robert Griffin, you have to like the weapons around him now. Gary Barnage had a great year at tight end last year, but you add Corey Coleman in the draft. Josh Gordon uh, expected back after a four-game suspension, assuming he doesn't do anything that causes Roger Goodell to suspend him further. I mean, what type of bounce back are we looking
2: at for Griffin? Top 15 quarterback, top 12, top 10? Like, what are you what are you expecting from him? Wow, I'm you know I'm still trying to figure that out because I keep going back and forth. Like, I mean, I could just see him falling on his face and McCown taking over over there, or I could just see him just having a complete you know renaissance. Um, You know, what's amazing is is um, you know first of all, if you know if the the offense is just sort of average, um, you know, and they're going to be getting their butts kicked a lot. You could see a lot of sort of what we saw with Jackson in last year, where you just got Griffin chucking at 70 yards to, you know, Josh Gordon, if he's healthy and good to go, or Corey Coleman, who's a beast. And, you know, we could see it in week one and, you know, all you know, the, guy that wins a million dollars in DFS. It's got the Griffin, you know, Coleman, you know, Gordon combo. And, you know, I mean, who really knows? You know, it's, a, I think just, you know, the ceiling is high with a sort of a, you know, having weapons like that. Um, so I think it will be really interesting.
1: I saw him hook up with Terrell Pryor early on in the game tonight <laughs> against the the Packers. That was something we were clamoring for throughout the last season. Like, come on, like put Terrell Pryor on the field. Mike Pettin just wouldn't do it. Pryor's got two catches for 57 yards thanks to a 49-yarder early early on with Robert Griffin. So I, I like the weapons, too. I, I think like top 15 quarterback is a, a safe sort of expectation if he can keep the job sure. all year. And there's room for a little more depending just on how much he's able to run. Uh, last spot, we're going to talk about defenses. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about defenses on the podcast because a lot of people take them in the second-to-last round of their drafts, and, and that's just... That's how they're going to go about it because it's more traditional. But in these leagues, in these MFL leagues, you have to have at least two. And what becomes really important is having two defenses that schedule-wise sort of balance each other out. You don't want to have only two defenses but have them, like, facing high-octane offenses in the same week. I mean, that's that's something that's less than ideal. You've got some great research presented to you by, I believe it was from Russ Prentice, right? Like he, he's, he pioneered yeah. this research. Pairing defenses together Which is is useful in every type of league If you're going to have two defenses in your league and, And have them on the bench all year You actually want to make sure they fit together
2: exactly and it needs to it needs to work out not just in terms of when your dst one is uh you know has its bye week and who your dst two is playing that week but it's also kind of how they fit in and, and, and weave in with each other over the course of the season and russ started tabulating this i mean the day that uh you know the the schedule came out so uh and it's just really interesting to see that you know for the most part with a lot of the, the you know sort of the top um projected defenses like you know arizona denver seattle carolina and Houston and uh, you know the top pairing with them uh, seems to be Green Bay and the second best option there is Indianapolis.
1: Yeah, two defenses Indianapolis in particular, two defenses you don't think much about as ones that you necessarily want to roster consistently, but even if you're going to go with one of those more expensive defenses, uh, you're gonna to you're pay up for Arizona, Denver, Seattle, or Carolina, especially, you, you may want some cover. It really depends on the flexibility of your roster in a, a traditional league, but in these leagues, it's a great way to get value. You don't have to spend up. You don't you don't, you don't have to pay too it's like top. I don't know first 12 13 round picks you can go like one quite a bit later getting Indy at, at way after pick 200 green bay even right around that pick 200 mark so it's a really interesting concept and definitely something to keep in mind as you're putting teams together and how much earlier would you draft your first defense in an mfl 10 than you would in say like the nffc
2: not particularly. I'll, I'll essentially just go with the flow. Like when, once I start, see, I'll, I'll never draft the first defense. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, traditionally every year, even in the, in the years of, you know, Seattle's dominance, I mean, there are many years when they were the following season, they weren't the top rated defense. And so, you know, who knows if it's going to be Arizona again this year or, you know, Kansas City. So, um, you know, I think I have sort of my, my 10 that I'm comfortable with. Um, and I think if any of those fall, uh, I usually take them. I think uh, I'm getting some. Some shares of uh, of the Rams, uh, and not just because I'm here in L. A. and, and uh, somewhat of a homer, uh, but um, you know the New York Jets defense I like as well, and um, and then everyone's darling, Oakland. I mean, it's coming to the point where you know Oakland's going in the top seven, and you can't even get them at a decent ADP.
1: Yeah, interesting that they've been on the rise, but uh, kind of funny that that's one of the trends that you've spotted so far. But yeah, as you pointed out from Russ's research, Green Bay and Indianapolis fit in very well with many of the top defenses so keep that in mind as you're going through the process if you're kicking the tires in your first mfl 10 or if it's something that you've been doing for a while and just haven't spent that much time thinking about pairing those together is very important all right vlad well i think we've covered a ton of ground anything else you could think of strategically that owner that owners should know if they're going to try these out for the first time
2: uh, i think you just uh, you know you- definitely don't want to uh, use up the, the, the whole clock and the eight hours because you got a bunch of people waiting on you. But, uh, you know, definitely use the opportunity to, um, you know, to practice. And, and, you know, if you're looking between, a, you know, a John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders, I mean, figure out why you want to go one guy over the other. And it, it'll just make things so much easier for you when your drafts and home links are coming around at the end of the year because you already have a good feel of the player pool and you know what to do. And most of all, I think, stay, stay away from the injured guys because in an NFL, once they're once they're down and out, nothing you can do. Your, your lineup is, you know, your roster construction has gone down from 20 to 18, and those are just you know two less players you have, and less chance you have of winning your league.
1: Yeah, there's enough attrition throughout the year anyway to uh, to want to add that extra risk early on so i think that definitely makes a lot of sense give vlad a follow on twitter at roto be sure to check out his columns rotowire.com slash pod you can get a free 10-day trial if you're not currently a subscriber vlad thanks for stepping in for mario this week we we'll look forward to doing it again next week
2: sounds good thanks dvr have a good weekend
1: all right you too thanks for listening to the rotowire fantasy football podcast nick and i are back with you on monday